Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 305. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2017, Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown Program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. I'm continuing to celebrate the success of the third annual American Flowers Week campaign with a recap at the top of this episode, while we'll also hear from Rebecca Bull-Reed, U.S. Sales Executive for David Austin Roses, this week's guest. I'm so pleased that Rebecca agreed to lecture about David Austin garden roses and to bring the story of these famous English roses to the florists and farmers of the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market recently. I was able to record Rebecca's presentation when she was there in late April, and I've been waiting for the perfect time to share it with you. I don't know about you, but roses in my garden are looking quite lovely right now, so it seems like the perfect time to shine the spotlight on these beauties. But first, let's recap news about the very successful American Flowers Week. I have new campaign numbers to share. Five million and counting. That's right, you heard me. Five million. That's the number of social media impressions generated by you and your Instagram and Twitter posts over the last 30 days. Hashtag American Flowers Week has exploded, just like fireworks. And in our third year, participation in American Flowers Week more than tripled last year's social media impressions, putting American Flowers Week on the map in all 50 states. Imagine if the true metrics of Facebook let us track hashtags. I'm just saying, that would be awesome. Thank you to each one of you who joined in. The Slow Flowers community is behind this momentum to affect change in the floral marketplace. So continue posting and sharing the Slow Flowers message every week of the year. As I noted, the third annual American Flowers Week has come to a close, and it was our best ever. With participation across the U.S. in all sectors of the floral industry, this new floral holiday is waving the flag and making a splash from coast to coast. This year, Slow Flowers commissioned five floral-inspired fashion shoots depicting iconic American-grown blooms. The designers who contributed their creativity and artistic talents teamed up with generous flower farms that donated stems straight from their fields and greenhouses. You can see four of the five wearable floral fashions at the show notes for today's episode at deborahprinzing.com. We're saving the final look to feature in an article that will appear in the August 2017 issue of Florist Review. So stay tuned for that big reveal. Our all-American floral looks would never have been possible without the support of Slow Flower sponsors, including Certified American Grown, 
Arctic Alaska Peony Cooperative, Longfield Gardens, Syndicate Sales, Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, Johnny's Selected Seeds, and the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. American Flowers Week inspired participation from grocery stores like Town and Country Markets, New Seasons, and Conan Steiner in the Pacific Northwest, Central Market in the Houston area, and Whole Foods Markets in the Mid-Atlantic region to devote floral merchandising and display space for the floral holiday. Farmer groups in the Southeast, including SC Upstate Flowers and Low Country Flowers, in Maryland with Petals by the Shore and M&M Plants, and in New York with the Hudson Valley Flower Growers Network, came together and staged flower arranging parties, continuing to build community and educate floral designers and consumers in their market. In other places, florists created beautiful styled shoots and designed promotions to benefit charities like Kathleen Barber of Erica's Fresh Flowers, whose flowers raised funds for Northwest Battle Buddies, a nonprofit partnering combat veterans with professionally trained dogs. The media paid attention, too, with feature articles appearing in leading trade magazines like Florist Review and a beautiful spread by Janet Eastman in The Oregonian. Be sure to check out our show notes and links to posts at AmericanFlowersWeek.com to see beautiful photographs of campaigns, photo shoots, inspired posts, and other resources. And stay tuned for next month when we announce details about American Flowers Week 2018 and how you can get involved in the planning efforts as together we create more exciting ways to promote you, your flower farm, and your floral designs. Next up, Rebecca Bull-Reed of David Austin Roses. I've known Rebecca as a professional friend for years, dating back to the early 2000s when I was just getting started with my garden writing career, and Rebecca was a garden designer who worked in sales at one of my favorite shops in town called Urban Pottery and Patio. We continued our friendship through the Garden Writers Association after Rebecca moved to the Southeast to join Southern Living Magazine as a garden editor there for nearly a decade. We would see one another at annual Garden Writers Symposia, and I always wish there was a way to reconnect with her more than once in a while. So, of course, I was excited when Rebecca returned to the Pacific Northwest in 2014, where she is now based as the U.S. sales executive for David Austin Roses. She is an accomplished horticulturist and garden communicator, specializing in David Austin English Roses, Bare Root Roses, Own Root Roses, sales and marketing, project management, lifestyle publishing, photo shoot story production, instructional writing, garden design, product promotion, education, and public speaking. I've seen so many of the alluring David Austin Garden Roses here at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market that Rebecca will discuss. Most of the ones I've seen are supplied as cut flowers by Don Severin of All My Time, a past guest of this podcast. Hearing from Rebecca may make you want to go back and listen to last year's interview with Don. I predict you'll be inspired to add more David Austin Garden Roses to your cutting garden or flower farm and to incorporate these beauties into your floral designs. And I'll have a link to Don's interview from 2016. Rebecca has shared images from the slideshow that accompanied her Seattle Wholesale Growers Market lecture, which you can see at the show notes for episode 305 on DebraPrinzing.com. I'll also provide links to all of her social places and details on how you can follow David Austin Garden Roses as well. So let's get started.
places. So the wonderful thing about this job is I get to travel from coast to coast, uh, going in all the top garden centers across the country and seeing what's going on. What I'm incredibly excited to be here for today, not only do I just love being surrounded by gorgeous flowers, I'd be happy to be locked in here for days on end. And, you know, give me coffee and flowers, I'm a happy woman. Um, but to be speaking with all of you, uh, flower growers, flower farmers, some of you say you're a grower, some of you say you're a farmer, but you are a huge growing population for me. What I do, kind of my background, I'm a horticulturalist by training, and then for 15 years I was a garden editor with Southern Living. I do not consider myself a salesperson, um, but I think when you're passionate about something, you can sell it really well. I like to think of myself more as a glorified county extension agent. Um, and, and best friend that helps people spend money. So um, one of the things, you know, how I came into this job was Michael Marriott, who, you know, you can go coast to coast and people go, oh, Michael Marriott, oh, Michael Marriott. He has done so much to promote David Austin Roses in the, in the U.S. Um, and has really worked closely through garden writers and other venues to promote the product. So as a garden editor, I used to be sent cases of plants to trial in my own garden from Ball, Berkey, Proven Winners. And uh, in Dallas, Texas, hotter than Hades, sat down with Michael Marriott and started talking to him about these English roses. And he said, I'd like to send you some to trial. And I was like, well, that'd be lovely. But yeah, I don't think they're going to live in the South. So sure enough, he sent me three to try. Uh, Darcy Bustle, which you see here in the foreground, uh, Strawberry Hill, and uh, Carding Mill. And so I completely did the wrong thing. They came in bare root, and I'm going to show you some bare root phrases. I went on a trip, left them in the box for five days, no additional water or anything, came home, and Deborah Prinsing has done this too, I'm sure, under the cloak of darkness, get out a spade, and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. And you halfway dig a hole, you chunk it in the hole, you don't do anything right, you take, okay, rain's in that bucket, pour that on, go back out on like four more trips. And I come home one night, and it's 11 o'clock at night in July which most roses in the South have kind of quit flowering. And they're like, you know, I've gone to bed, my day's over, my year's over. And I opened the car door, and I was like, what is that smell? And I'm like, walking around the yard trying to, it was one Strawberry Hill rose that was flowering. And so even in doing all this wrong, these things still flowered in my garden, and I kind of took note and watched them over the year. So, ended up coming to work for David Austin. So, one of the things that I have found, whether we're talking about the cut flowers or the garden roses or flower farmers growing them for market, is that David Austin roses evoke emotion. And I was traveling with David Austin Jr., Mr. Austin's son, who's, I guess, He's 57-ish. Mr. Austin's now 91. And I have to say this very carefully. Am I being videotaped? No, good. We like to say Mr. Austin's 91 and he's still breathing. 
And, um, <laughs> but he, he is still working with a team of 20 horticulturalists and is actively you know, looking for what's better, what's better, what else can we do better? But we're driving down the road and David Jr. was saying, you know, the, the, the floral market in the United States blows the doors off of what's going on in England. People spend more money on weddings here. People are more apt to send flowers to someone for a holiday or a wedding or, or buy at a flower market. And that's not something that you always hear. You think in Europe they're buying twice as many flowers. Well, for our roses in the US, it's huge, huge. And he said, so this is coming from someone who was in the garden rose industry. He said, I cannot understand for the life of me why someone would want to pay $8 a stem for a cut flower when they can get a whole bush for like twice as much and or three times as much. And I said, David, don't worry about it. It's an emotional thing. And it really is. You are all in this business because you know cut flowers are an emotional purchase. Right, next slide. So David Olson, as uh, uh, Georgiana was telling you, really are considered some of the most beautiful roses in the world. And the reason they're sold in 35 countries is that they are easy and rewarding to grow. Um, you know, when you look at the delicate blooms and the graceful flowers and the color range, um, and then you put that out in the ground and you see what you get, it's a huge payoff and big reward. So, who was Constance Spry? Anybody know who Constance Spry was? Okay. Uh, I think she was the first celebrity florist ever. Yes. In the UK. For, for, for the queen. And so when David Austin first hit it big, he had been breeding and developing roses for years. And finally he comes out with this one rose called Constance Spry. And people went wild over it. He introduced it at Chelsea and when I began my career as a horticulturalist, or changed from being a food science major to a horticulture major in college, I got David Brooks' garden book, and there was this photo in there, and little did I know that that was going to kind of be my direction in life, and I was like, this has to be one of the most gorgeous things I have ever seen in my life. So, when I went to England last summer to help them with their open days, open house, I was like, I'm going to Montespont and I'm going to see this. So, the next one, there it is. <laughs> no flowers on <laughs> Constance Fry behind one of the most photographed benches in all of England, and it has no flowers. Well, now I'm going to tell you this is exactly why we no longer sell constant spry in our main collection for David Austin roses. Next one. So, what is the essence of an English rose? Fragrant, repeat blooming. Anything that you see in the wholesale catalog that I put out here um, blooms more than one time. We call that romanancy. It has excellent romanancy. Most David Austin roses, and this is important, you flower farmers, will give you three, sometimes four flushes of growth. Um, there are other varieties like Gertrude Jekyll, and we'll talk about how do you say the name. Is it Jekyll or Jekyll? 
David Austin Jr. says Jekyll. Our marketing director says Jekyll. So damn, you're both correct. Repeat bloom is big, so everything new that we are breeding now has to bloom more than one time, preferably more than twice. Gertrude Jekyll, or Jekyll, as you may prefer, um, I say only blooms about one and a half times. A lot of it depends on where you live. Here in the Pacific Northwest, it's cooler, a little milder, and so you're probably going to get two flushes. You may see something kind of stagger in later on. While Mr. Austin considers that variety his favorite fragrance, and we think it is one of our most fragrant roses, as a flower farmer, you've got to decide, do I want to devote ground space to something that I'm only going to get one or two harvests out of? So... That, the other thing that I'm going to weave into this and going coast to coast and seeing what a lot of people are doing, I'm being asked more and more by flower farmers, what are the top five varieties? What should I have? Well, <clears throat> what do you want your rose to do for you? Where do you live? What's your life conditions? What's your customer's buying habits? So I cannot give you a list of five bulletproof roses to grow. I could but you've got a lot of homework to do on your end. Um, something that may grow beautifully for dawn, we could go 50 miles and it's not gonna do quite as well for you. So you can always call me, I'll tell you what I hear, what I know. Um, I was just at Rose Story Farm and talking to um, Danny there and she absolutely adores Fair Bianca. Well, guess what? You cannot buy Fair Bianca wholesale in the United States. Um, guess why? Anybody want to know why? You'll get a calendar. All right, I'll help you out a little bit. Flower farmers really could give a hoot about this, but as a garden rose sales rep, who's selling to Mulbacks and Swansons and Gethsemane in Chicago and Martin Viet, well, it used to be Martin Viet. Um, they really care about this. Why do we not sell Fair Bianca anymore in the U.S.? It's not so easy. It's a crappy rose for disease resistance. <laughs> All right, that's so. <laughs> You know, this year, let's talk about this, and I'm ready to hear some moans. Evelyn will not be for sale. Who knows why Evelyn is famous? There's a company. Right. So, Crabtree and Evelyn use the Evelyn rose as its fragrance base for its rose-scented hand cream. The flower is this gorgeous apricot, but when we're walking down the field, in the trials, and we have trials in Salinas, uh, Texas with the Earth Time trials, and then up in Cornell for New York State. And we're walking down, and we can consistently go, wow, that's embarrassing. You know, and everything in the field is this tall, and then you have something that's like this and covered with black spot, and you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> but it's throwing out these pretty flowers. And you know, David and I were just going, wow, you know what? We're not doing our, our homeowners any service at all. 
and you're causing your growers, your commercial growers, to have to spray what's happening right now. Is it good to spray? No, no. So, you know, we pulled it off the market. Sometimes you gotta do tough love. Beauty and grace. You just saw Georgiana's presentation. I don't have to tell you about that. One of the things that I think is phenomenal, so we were walking our fields, and we're coming, come, came up to this rose that just was a beast, and it looked like a camellia, and the foliage was big and shiny, and the flowers looked like a camellia, and I said, oh my God, um, David, why aren't we gonna be offering this one? What is this called? It's called Endeavor. And he said, I don't know, it's just not refined enough. And I was like, but it's beautiful. And he said, no, it's kind of a chunky girl. Look at it. And I was like, But one of Mr. Austin's goals when we're breeding the roses is to hold the petal up to the light. And if the light passes through the petal, like it would a porcelain plate, then we're good. If you look at a lot of hybrid teas, a lot of your, your you know, kind of your hardy imported floral roses, and you hold that petal up, nothing passes through. That's why the David Austin's photograph so well. So if you're a big event photographer, you know, you're an event photographer, you're doing weddings or anniversaries or something that's going to be photographed, the David Austin's are key for that. So, here's the other thing that is very interesting. The British are in there for the long haul. Um, Mr. Austin could not give two cents of what a lot of American growers call impulse buy. It looks really good in the can. So, star roses, drift roses, these are all landscape roses that you're probably not growing to pet and put in bouquets. Great great shelf presentation. Good walk. Look at that little thing. It's neat and mounted. I'm not going to have to prune. It's covered with flowers. <sighs> Mr. Austin could not give two cents about that. He is breeding something that is going to look better over time. So as a flower farmer, this is good for you because we've got really vigorous root systems. You're putting them in the ground. They're kind of hanging out. I always tell everyone it's a two-year crop. This is not a plant that I'm just harvesting and raking in the money. No, no, no. You need to give that plant at least two years before you can start starting to get something off of it. And because you cut constantly, it's going to cause the plant to decline. And yes, you are going to have to replace the plant over time. But because they are so vigorous and, and bred for the long haul, a lot of people tell me that David Austin's hang in there for the long haul of cutting better than other roses that they're planting. Dependable and adaptable. We are sold in 35 countries around the world. Everyone thinks they live in the absolute most extreme environment, and it's the worst for them. We have roses growing up in Minnesota. We have them growing in Arizona. As a matter of fact, all roses you're gonna see coming up in the United States start in either Arizona or California. Um, <clears throat> so they're very dependable and adaptable, but you still have to know, you, 
you know, they say there's nothing better, the best fertilizer is the farmer's footprint. And I really agree with that. If you're starting out in this industry of growing your own roses, you need to be out there watching the subtleties of what's going on in your fields. They're drought tolerant. As a flower farmer, the more water you add, the bigger, better flowers you're gonna get. Spring or fall, ideal for planting. The problem with fall planting is that we have nothing to sell you in the fall because you're buying airy plants. But let's say you get lucky and you've got a garden center that had some potted leftover David Austin's or someone else's roses. Fall is an ideal time to plant a rose. And I am trying to change the industry that we get more roses brought to market in the fall, which is a feat from God <laughs> to try to do that. But it will, it will completely disrupt the entire industry of how it's set up to grow roses. So, all David Austins are fragrant. There are five different categories. Where people fall short, and they leave a lot of really good varieties on the table, and they don't mind, is they look in our catalogs. Everyone turn to the back two pages of the catalog, and you'll see a chart that talks about, can be used in a border, a container, as a climber, etc., and it gives a fragrance rating. Well, a lot of people say, I only want big flowers that are a number five fragrance rating. Well, guess what normally gets a number five fragrance rating? Something that is an old rose fragrance like Gertrude Jekyll. We work with Robert Calkin, who is a perfumier, and he actually goes in his nose every time and evaluates um, and he actually rates the uh, type of fragrance, just like a uh, sommelier would do for wine, he does with our fragrance. Fruity, I have come to find that Americans prefer fruity fragrance over myrrh. The British really love myrrh, and myrrh is almost exclusively found in English roses. Um, Fruity is like Olivia Rose Austin or Lady Emma Hamilton. We always sell out of Lady Emma Hamilton because everyone's like, oh my God, that thing smells like candy. It's wonderful. And fruity could be anything from raspberry to strawberry hints, citrusy uh, tones and combinations thereof. Must like uh, fragrance actually comes from the stamens and not the petals. And an example of that is Generous Gardener. That's a big climber. So as flower farmers, you can actually grow the climbers and still cut from them. Let me explain something a little different about how David Austin's are that maybe all roses don't. So if you're, you've ever ordered from us, you'll say, do you want the shrub version of this or do you want the um, climbing version? And I, that makes me really mad. And I've told England that in the US, just that confuses Americans. It is all the same genetics. It's the same plant. What happens is David Austin roses are these big shrubs. The ones that tend to be climbers send out these long arching canes that then have the leaders that come off and as a, as a grower, you're cutting the leaders off to sell and bring here. Um, and then you can cut back the big canes. 
So you still have the opportunity there, but don't get hung up on is it a climber, is it a shrub? You can do both. Um, and then finally, T, and that is like an example is a Graham Thomas. So if you've ever torn open a pack of China tea, and it, it is really, really powerful, and then as it starts to fade, you'll get some undernotes of almond or other fragrances that are with it. So English roses are very, very versatile. A lot of people think that David Austin roses are heirloom roses. They are not. Who knows? I've got a calendar. Who knows what a David Austin English rose really is? It's combining two things. Anyone who's not on a calendar know what they are. Okay, I'll tell you. So when Mr. Austin first started breeding, or, and he wasn't, even, he wasn't even thinking he wanted to breed at this uh, part. He was looking through a catalog and he said, wow, you know I really love these old species roses. They're in whites, pinks, and red tones, and all blue-based red tones. You know, they're very disease resistant, they're these big hardy shrubs, but they only flower once. They smell really good. Um, but then he said, but you know what, I am just going to try some of these modern roses, a aka hybrid tea types. So he planted both in this garden. He said, yeah, you know, as, as I suspected, much more disease resistance, wonderful form, very graceful, nice fragrance, but only red, pink. Oh, look at these modern roses, yellow, orange, red, pink. So he said, what would happen if I crossed the two? Ta-da, English roses. That's what ended up happening. And out of that, Constance Fry and then Graham Thomas came, and now there's a little over 200 in the collection, only about 80 of which we sell in the U.S., because that's what we think works well in the U.S. So a lot of people don't realize you can grow them in large containers. Deep is more important than big around. Spectacular climbers, we've already been filled in on the climber trick on that. Wonderful in borders, magnificent tree raises, and then for hedging. Queen of Sweden has this very upright form. A lot of you flower farmers love that for a cut flower, and so that's, that's really good, that upright forming. So anything that you see that says good for hedging, that's in the catalog, Usually it's pretty good in the field, too. And then I'm, I'm so tempted to say, and then here's the other, the other category, cut flowers. Yay. Because this is the category that you're really creating. Now, I'm going to need you guys to help me out with something. David Austin garden roses are not, repeat, are not the same as David Austin floral roses, which you see back there. Tell me, tell me one of the biggest differences right now, anybody. Yes, the stems aren't quite as long. emulate the garden roses, okay? 
So what happened was so many people were cutting the garden branches. They said, we need something with a longer base life. With those, you're looking at definitely five to seven days. They're going to ship better so you can start clicking through these. Uh, longer base life. They're going to, sh uh, longer stems, which we just said, they hold up better in shipping, which every last one of you who knows you're getting up at the crack of dawn to harvest these things and bring in here, you know that timing is critical. Because I normally tell people, depending on the variety, you're three, four, or five days for these as a cut flower. All right? <clears throat> They're, those are grown in a greenhouse. When you walk through, they're grown in little boxes about troughs about this wide and they're this tall and it is doesn't remotely resemble what you have growing in your field. <clears throat> and then the last thing is we sell those to no one. Green Valley in the United States, in Salinas, California, has the sole license to grow them here. Thus, all you ladies and gentlemen out here have gotten savvy and said, there's big demand for these, I'm going to make some money. And so you cannot say that they are David Austin cut floral roses. You can say they are David Austin garden roses. And you need to be very, very, very clear with who you're selling them to that they know that. And then you're okay. All right? I have had newbies come in and they say, I'd like to order some roses from you. And they give me the entire list of what you see over there. I'm like, I'm so sorry, we cannot sell those to you. Well, yes, you can, because I see them out there. And we've had people report people saying that they were selling Juliet. They are not selling Juliet. They may be selling Carding Mill or Lady Emma Hamilton or, you know, a variety of our other apricots, but I promise you, nobody on the street is selling Juliet. So, anyhow, there you go. Somebody back there answered the question right. Just be kind and pass it to the right person. <laughs> okay, all right, let's see what we have next. All right, so now, that's okay. You can actually leave there. Let's talk about how David Austin roses are made. You've got to hear a little bit and see kind of what's out in the field in England. It all starts here. We started, we used to do 80,000 crosses a year by hand, paintbrush. Then it went down to 50,000, and I think we're now hovering around 20,000 crosses a year. This is where we're very different from Weeks and Star and the other, you know, big Cordes uh, growers out there. Is Mr. Austin is really not about what happens fast. He's about his name being uh, held with high regard later on. So this is all the breeding. Each of these little tags has a barcode on it, so we know the parentage and the cross. And they go through and they walk and they go, hmm, looking good, looking good, looking From this, they pick about 150,000 roses to plant in the field. For eight years, they grow out in fields very similar to what you saw Georgiana showing you. Um, 
When I was there last June, David was walking the fields with a clipboard and he doesn't stop and think a whole lot about it. He's going, no, no, no. Hmm, let it stay one more year. No, no, no. Yes, no. There's people behind him tagging what he says no with, with a shovel or either putting tape on it and it, the next day it's out of the ground to a trash pile. It's gone. So then, let's see when we bring it on down to the next one, you end up, I know we're going from gorgeous to farming now. Um, so then you end up going to where you're bringing really only one or two varieties new to the market each year. And um, how does Demona, which is on the front of the catalog, came to market a year earlier. Next year you'll be able to buy this one. Um, it came out in England last year. There was another rose that was supposed to go to market. It had been ramped up to go to, to Chelsea, where our roses are introduced initially. And Mr. Austin said, I've been thinking about this for over a week. There is something about that rose that I just don't feel good about. Let's trash it and we'll bump Desdemona up. So that's, that's how committed he is to excellence. So we bring the budwood, so it's introduced in England first. One to two years later, it comes to the U.S. But before that happens, when we think something's come to the U.S., the budwood has to be brought over and quarantined uh, in either California or uh, Phoenix, Arizona, which is where 98% of all garden roses grown in the U.S. come from. And so this is a field of newly planted roses. This is how many of you have like set out plants, uh, potatoes, or well, I grew up on a tobacco farm in the south. But this is exactly how we used to set out tobacco plants. Going down the thing, putting the little plugs in, and it would go through a slicer, go in the ground. And then in the next shot, you'll see they go back and make sure it's it's you know, in the ground well, it's watered there. This is Phoenix, Arizona. And it's not anchored, folks. Next shot. Just showing you they're about six to eight inches apart in the field. They grow for two years, so this is a two-year crop. If there's a whoops, that happened two years ago, okay? So what we are bringing to market this year was actually planted in the field two years ago. After this, they go through with uh, a bush hog type implement and cuts the tops off of everything. We wait until our roses are fully defoliated. <clears throat> Weeks roses actually will harvest some of theirs early while the foliage is still on, ship them to Florida, root them out, and pew, they keep going. They pot them up and go. But we think you get a better product when it's fully defoliated. So we don't lift until around Thanksgiving, which is why everyone goes, why do our roses take so long to get? It's just how we do it, folks. So after they do that, if you've seen a potato harvester, it's the same kind of thing. It's a blade that goes under and it literally shakes and lifts like such. Um, the roses come out of the ground like that. And um, I'm going to tell you something. So, 
Jude the Obscure is always obscure. It's a great rose. But the reason we never have enough of it to go around is it does not lift well. Crown Princess Margarita does not lift well either. So it now becomes an economy thing. If we have to plant 50% more Jude the Obscure just to get the numbers out of the field, if you were the accountant looking at the books and you were renting the land, because everybody rents their land, you would kind of think twice about planting 20 rows of Jude the Obscure, right? So that's why that particular variety is short. So what they do in the field is they go through and they do an initial culling or grading. And these over down kind of on the bottom are ones that weren't viable, where they see they're, they're uh, broken or torn or damaged in some way, and they kick those out. And then someone comes along and in groups of five, because those of you who ordered from us before know you have to do groups of five from us. They go ahead and bundle in groups of five, and then they're tagged. So this was Winchester Cathedral. They are then put on a trailer. There they are on the trailer. They are driven through a watering uh, thing and then loaded onto a refrigerated truck and driven to Tyler, Texas. A lot of other Rose folks send that directly to their customers or let their customers pick up there in Arizona or Wasco, depending on which farm. We then bring ours in and we regrade them. And I don't have a shot of that, but I've been on the grading line before and seen calls of plants like this big going, I'll take that one home, that's not that bad. And they're like, nope, 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 that's not good enough. So, you know, Dawn, who's bought thousands of roses from us, even will find one here and there where she's like, yeah, I need you to credit me for this. And we understand that because it's a, you know, it's, it just is what happens. Here's my next point. When you're ordering from us, you have the option to order on route, on its own route, or budded or grafted. Budded and grafted can be used interchangeably. This one you see has the knot here. This is actually a grafted or budded Rose. These are all Gertrude Jekyll. Gertrude Jekyll. This is all, all in the United States. It's grafted onto Dr. Huey rootstock. A lot of people in really hot, warm climates say that taking a grafted rose helps the rose be more vigorous in the heat. In your area, you can do either. Um, this is on own root. See how the plant here is just a little, little bit bigger canes. These are a little bit smaller canes. These are both considered grade one plants. If you are in a really cold area, um, let's say you're a flower farmer in Idaho, or Minnesota, or you're up towards Leavenworth, I would highly recommend you order a root from us because what happens, let's say you just didn't protect the roses enough, or you had some crazy, crazy cold. The lion's share of our roses are hardy through zone five, but and some of them, like Gertrude Jekyll, are good through zone four, but you can never be too cautious. I would say go ahead and get on root. Here's what's gonna happen. In your first couple years of harvesting, you get more flowers with own root 
but a little bit smaller flowers. Some of our flower farmers go, I only want the grafted because I want the big stuff. You know, it's not going to be that different. Have you found after about three years, they're about the same? They're about the same. Do you have a preference? Dawn normally goes, I want that variety. <laughs> How many of you have talked to me and I said, do you want to save a little bit of money? And we are out of the grade one, but we have grade one and a half. Normally, if it's going to retail garden center, I, I encourage a grade one rose. But for flower farmers, I always um, encourage you consider buying a one and a half grade rose. Here's why. You can't really cut and start harvesting for at least two years. You have a two-year crop. And the, the, the first harvesting year you come out of the shoot, and Don will back me up on this, no matter how much they beg you here, hear me, Danielle, do not over-harvest your roses because you will set them back yet another growing season if you harvest too hard in that first year. So this is a grade one and a half grafted rose. Still pretty darn good, right? And this is a grade one and a half on root rose, smaller. And I'll pass these around so you can take a look at them. Here is where I want to educate you. If you are planting grace, grace is a very fine bone rose. This is Gertrude Jekyll. It's going to be significantly smaller than this. And you're going to go, all you sent me was little tiny twigs. Well, no, not all roses are the same size. Look around the room. We're all women, but, you know, and we're all uh, flower farmers or in the floral industry, but we're not the same size, are we? No. So it's the same thing between varieties. So educate yourself as to what you're growing. Our newer varieties, hands down, are going to be more disease resistant. So the idea is, you know, a lot of our garden centers don't even allow spraying anymore. Um, as flower farmers, a lot of flower farmers are like, I don't care about that. I just want pretty fragrant flowers. Olivia Rose Austin, I really foresee being a, a total winner in the cut flower industry. Anybody growing Poet's Life? Yellow? I, I, my personal opinion is that if you're going to uh -huh, go with that one. All right, next. New for 2018, Desdemona. It's completely the right color for you guys. It's got the pretty bud. It's got the little red stem. I'm going to shoot straight with you on this. Personally, I'm not 100% sure this is going to be the best cut flower for you. It's going to be a fantastic rose for a container. They're saying um, it's going to be nice in a shrub border. But Georgiana and I were talking about this earlier. I'm not 100% sure yet that this is the best cut flower for you. But a lot of it depends on do you want it to be a supporting flower in the bouquet or do you want it to be the main event? So keep that in mind. Not everything needs to be the main event. You may want some filler flowers too. So talking about pruning, deadheading is pruning. And the more you deadhead, the more flowers you're going to get. Harvesting blooms is pruning. So when you're coming to harvest, 
keep in mind you're in essence pruning the plant. And again, in that second year, do not over harvest. Even in the third and fourth year, there's such thing as over harvesting and you're gonna weaken the plant and kill it. A lot of people I'm starting to learn are saying that after about five years, they start replacing their raises. Are you seeing that tree? Yes. Rebecca, can you just talk about this sort of spike in popularity from this being driven by the farmer florist yes. movement? Yes. So one of the things <clears throat> that we're seeing is, you know, I was telling you earlier that now we have kind of this cut flower silo because of all of you folks. And the floral industry being so popular. Well, one of the things that we have found and some of the top designers are telling me is that these are lovely, the, the floral David Austins are lovely, but when you really start elevating your design, combining the garden roses just adds this whole layer of elegance and it's a little looser. Um, it, it really just elevates design as a whole. And we're seeing the garden roses go to everything from CSAs to places like this. Uh, but just remember, they are not the same beast as that, all right? And you're going to, one other thing I did not tell you for the new growers is you're gonna get your first flush, which is normally your biggest and best. Then you're gonna flush again in the heat of summer, don't push them hard. Let them relax. And then um, at winter, in the fall, you're going to get one more flush. Remember, big girls like to eat, so you've got to feed these things. <laughs> All right? Food and water. <laughs> There's no two ways around it. You're asking them to do a lot of work for you. So make sure your soil is prepped well. Hands down, what I've seen people who are growing more sustainably with healthy, happy soil, their raises tend to do better over the long haul than someone who's putting the bear three in one hand. If you're a big bear three in one product person and you're loving on that, that's your business. But I'm just telling you what I see. All right? All right. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining me today. It has been a crazy month and I'm so pleased that you have joined the conversation to hear from leading voices in the Slow Flowers movement. I learned a lot about the David Austin English Rose from Rebecca and here's the takeaway for me. The essence of these roses, bred by David Austin, now 90 years of age, combines the charm, beauty and fragrance of the old roses with repeat flowering and exceptional health of the modern rose. The main characteristics include strong and diverse fragrance, beautiful, often many-petaled, cupped and rosette flower forms, the ability to repeat flower over a long season, the ability to be trained as a climber, and health and disease resistance. You'll love the newest introduction for 2017, Desdemona, a white rose with an intense myrrh fragrance. Its peachy pink buds open to reveal pure white chalice-shaped blooms with a hint of pink. I'll share a photo of this beauty named after the tragic heroine Desdemona of William Shakespeare's Othello at today's show notes. I wish we could all inhale that perfume in real life. 
The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded nearly 210,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you to each one of you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. If you value the content you receive each week, I invite you to show your thanks and support the Slow Flowers podcast with a donation. The button can be found on our homepage in the right column. Your contributions will help make it possible to transcribe future episodes of the podcast. Thank you to our family of sponsors, Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of 50 family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing high-quality, American-grown peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. And I just have to add a thank you to Chris Bex and David Russell of Arctic Alaska Peonies and to the farmers who provided 200 beautiful Alaska fresh peony stems that we could use during the Slow Flowers Summit last weekend. It was so remarkable to see this product. Next, I want to thank Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. The folks of the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market donated hundreds and hundreds of stems of flowers for our use at the Slow Flowers Summit on July 2nd, and I am so grateful for their support. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at lfgardens.com. And thank you, Longfield Gardens, for supporting American Flowers Week with your online photo campaign. I love that you had lots of participation of gardeners and florists and farmers posting photos of their flowers during American Flowers Week. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. And thanks so much, Syndicate Sales, for your support of American Flowers Week, for running a campaign for your clients and customers, and for donating so many beautiful American-made vases and bud vases straight from your factory in Kokomo, Indiana, for our use at the Slow Flowers Summit. Thank you to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. And thank you, Johnny Seeds, all of you, for supporting American Flowers Week. I especially love your posts on Instagram. They're so creative and put a big smile on my face and for creating the Couture Sunflower Seed Collection, specially designed for our participants at the Slow Flowers Summit. That was above and beyond. Thank you to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, 
please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. I'd really love to see that. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at kinetictreefitness.com. Thank you.